This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome this afternoon. It is the Slater Show. I'm Mike Broomhead in for Slater this week. I am uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, been on the Blaze quite a few times, and it's uh, great to be back with Slater's audience. A lot going on in the world. We're going to talk about, of course, the Democrat caucuses are coming up. The Democrats caucusing today in three states. I believe they have 142 delegates up for grabs. New information out about Hillary Clinton and her emails. Bernie Sanders supposed to do very well in these three states. Now, you know, none of the states for the Democrats are winner-take-all. Now, in the Republican Republican side, there are some. We just, if you, uh, as a matter of fact, I just got out of line from voting. If you heard what happened in Arizona on Tuesday, it was uh, quite the debacle in Arizona, and the fallout has been exactly what you'd expect. Politics as usual here with our, uh, we, have, we call it a presidential preference election. It's not exactly a primary, it's a closed primary. Winner take all for the Republicans, not so for the Democrats. Independent voters are not allowed to vote in our presidential preference election. It's weird. They can in the primary. So when we have our primaries coming up, when each of our candidates are being challenged in a primary, John McCain up for reelection, he is being challenged in a primary by a couple of people. Only one of those candidates right now really viable. You can then independents can choose a primary and vote then in August. But in our presidential preference election, they're not allowed to vote if you are an independent voter. Our largest county, I happen to live in the largest county where Phoenix, Arizona is, is called Maricopa County. You may have heard the fallout of what happened. Our county recorder, who has been in the job since the 80s, um, and has done a f- phenomenal job. Her name is Helen Purcell. She's done a very nice job. She's been reelected since the 80s. 1988 was her first year of winning. She's up for re-election this year. And they miscalculated, I guess, because there were 60 polling places in the entire county. Here's the difference. Uh, the second largest populated county in Arizona is called Pima County. Pima County had about 2,500 voters per polling place in that county. In the county I live in, Maricopa County, Maricopa County had just under 21,000 voters per polling place. I showed up at the polls at 10 minutes to 7 because they closed at 7 p.m., figuring the lines would be gone. Um, The lines were four hours long at 10 minutes to 7. So there were some issues in Arizona with our presidential preference election. But uh, Hillary Clinton, the clear-cut winner very quickly, it was called. And the same for Donald Trump. Big margin. We know that Ted Cruz won Utah and won all of the delegates in Utah, but uh, Bernie Sanders won the other states for the Democrats. He does very well in caucus states and has throughout this election against Hillary Clinton. She has a few things going against her, not to mention the people even on the side on the left realize that there are some issues with Hillary Clinton and the emails. Uh, There's new information out for leaked information about the FBI investigation into the email scandal at the State Department when Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State. Not to mention that on both sides of the aisle, there is a huge dissension 
A vote, voters just can't stand the status quo. They don't like the people that have been there, the establishment candidates, whatever you want to call them. I was very surprised myself to see on the right side of the aisle Jeb Bush gone so quickly. A lot of the other what thought to be establishment, well-funded, uh, even well-experienced candidates like Jeb Bush out quickly. Marco Rubio um, and I hate to keep going back to where I live, but Arizona, you may not know this. First of all, Marco Rubio is beating John Kasich in delegates right now. He still is beating Kasich in delegates. John Kasich in Arizona came in fourth in a three-man race. Trump, Cruz, Rubio, then Kasich. Marco Rubio had been out of the race over a week And he still beat John Kasich in Arizona. Now, it didn't matter because we're winner take all. So Trump took all of the delegates. But Kasich came in fourth in a three-man race in the state of Arizona. So now the Democrats are going to caucus in the three states, Hawaii, Alaska, and Washington. And Bernie Sanders may sweep as far as wins go. He's not going to win 100% of the 142 that's left. He has got a huge uphill battle to climb because there are no winner-take-all states for the Democrats. And the Democrats have those superdelegates. The superdelegates allow Hillary Clinton to enter the race with a huge lead over any contender. But Bernie Sanders, I think they had a a rally for Bernie, 15,000 people at a rally for Bernie Sanders. So he's supposed to do very well today for the Democrats. Uh, Another big story in American politics is the new National Enquirer hit piece against Ted Cruz. We know about it, uh, you know, just going, just really getting dirty with the talking about people's wives. I don't understand it. Yeah, I've not. I came out and endorsed Ted Cruz, and I've never endorsed a presidential candidate in a primary. Haven't done it. Um, It's not good for business for what I do, just to be very honest. But I I just haven't done it because I wanted to be fair to all the candidates, whoever they are, whether it's a congressional primary or it's a, a presidential primary. You want to be fair. You ha- Everybody has their own opinion, but I wanted to be fair to all candidates involved. But as ugly as this campaign has gotten, I thought, you know, it's time I, I took a stand and I just thought that Ted Cruz is the right person. That being said. I've defended Donald Trump. I've defended Donald Trump about the protesters. Um, Again, going back to Arizona, I I hate leaning on the crutch of where I am, but I can give you some personal experience. The weekend of ours, you saw on television the protesters that blocked the roadway and wouldn't allow people into the Trump event at a big park in a little town called Fountain Hills, a beautiful part of the valley where we live. And... You just can't do that. You don't have to agree with Trump. You can hold your signs and call him names and do all of that. But to infiltrate and to obstruct anyone else's First Amendment right is ridiculous. And the people were charged with crimes and they should have been charged with crimes. But Trump now denying he had anything to do with the National Enquirer story about some kind of a sex scandal involving Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz flatly denies it, says it's a smear campaign, said it was Donald Trump's henchman who had this done. Trump says, I have no idea what you're talking about. When politics gets ugly like this, it drives people away. More than anything else, this is what bothers me. If you watch around the country, there has been such a huge response to the new blood in American politics. I don't agree with Donald Trump about a lot of things and the way he does them especially. But I've said from the beginning, Donald Trump has been good for the race because Donald Trump is forcing people to get off script, to stop with the talking points of politics and be real and and to speak from the heart. 
And then he just pushes it so far. You don't call Carly Fiorina ugly, and that's what he did. Remember, look at that face is what he said. You don't do that. When is that acceptable behavior for anyone, never mind a candidate for president of the United States? And now the meme that goes out with the picture of his wife and and one of of Cruz's wife, who is a very – beautiful woman for them to depict her as ugly and Donald Trump's wife better looking and then Trump to retweet that is beneath the office he wants to hold one of the reasons why I'm not supportive is because of those things the other part of it is the people that would defend Donald Trump's behavior if you're a supporter you got to knock it off I said for a long time Donald Trump needed to knock it off because if he became the nominee I wanted to be able to support him and they are going to use all of that against him. He's got to knock it off. Well, now, if there is any truth to the Donald Trump campaign or Donald Trump people propping up a story that turns out to be that is going to turn out to be false about Ted Cruz, then this is what damages American politics. And a, a radio host, uh, if you look at TheBlaze.com, Michael Savage, uh, in knee deep for Donald Trump now says he's going to pull his support if Trump doesn't change his mind on how this happened or, or how this uh, inquiry story and denounce this inquirer story. We're going to do a Brussels update, another uh, another uh, perpetrator or a, accused perpetrator of the bombings in Brussels has been caught alive. They've named him and caught him. And the original terrorist, the one that was part of the Paris bombing, said he had just a small part in the Paris attacks. Now he's on with the Brussels attacks. They've got people caught alive. Easter weekend. Some would argue the most significant holiday in the Christian faith, obviously Christmas and Easter. But celebrating the culmination of the life of Christ with his crucifixion, his death, and then his resurrection and what that means to Christians across the world. Think about the people that are being diligent right now and trying to protect all of us. We're going to talk about the president's visit to Cuba, something I have been talking about for a very long time. What a joke that visit was. And then on to Argentina. Audio you're going to hear during the show today of the president actually diminishing the differences if you haven't heard the audio yet it's compelling he's talking to young argentinian students and telling them you know there's big differences people say between capitalism and socialism and communism but you ought to just you know just do what you think is right just do what works there's really not that big of a difference it's startling to hear really from any american but to hear it from the president of the united states it's a very good picture of what this president wants to do intends to do and will do and it leads us into a conversation about what the congressional budget office says should be happening with taxes and just how much money the american treasury takes in from the american people and finally one of the things we'll talk about on the show today is a battle over the laws in Georgia and North Carolina. Some would call them anti-gay legislation, other would say they're religious freedom legislation. Some people would just call them common sense. But San Francisco sticking its nose in it saying they are going to ban travel to South to uh, North Carolina because of this legislation. So it's going to be a very fast moving show. My name is Mike Broomhead. I am in Phoenix, Arizona. If you are a social media user, you can find me at Broomhead Show on Twitter. Broomhead is spelled just like it sounds. I had a rough childhood. Broomhead at Broomhead Show or the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook. Or if you're an Instagram user, I'm just Mike Broomhead. All one word on Instagram. No dots, no dashes. That's where you can reach me via social media. In a moment, Trump versus Cruz. We'll go into details on it. We'll do that in a moment right here on the Mike Slater Show. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. 
The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. You're listening to Mike Slater. All right, thanks for being here this afternoon. It is the Slater Show. My name is Mike Broomhead, Phoenix, Arizona. Let's talk elections. We'll get to the Dems and their caucuses, what's going on with them. But let's start on the Republican side with uh, Trump versus Cruz and what's happening with that race. Uh, Donald Trump, um, you know, I'm not going to call the guy evil. I'm not going to call people names. Here's my issue with what's happening. Um, Donald Trump, did you know that Donald Trump has a plan to repeal and replace Obamacare? Of course you didn't. We're too busy talking about whether or not his wife is hotter than Ted Cruz's wife. Um, that's my issue. From the beginning of all of the things that have happened on the right side of the aisle, I've listened to people that I respect a great deal talk about their support for Donald Trump. And there was no way that I was going to come out and just support Donald Trump. And the reason why I wasn't going to was because of, I didn't think he wanted to be president from the beginning. Now, that was my feeling because I didn't he think he was treating it seriously. And then he surprised me. I've been complimenting Donald Trump for his ability to stay on top of the polls for a long time. Here's the problem. Donald Trump can't beat Hillary Clinton in national polls. And I know everybody says polls don't matter. Well, polls matter to Donald Trump when he's winning them. And so it does to the Trump supporters that show Donald Trump killing it. And the polls have been right to a great extent. There have been some very big exceptions. But for the most part, Donald Trump says he's going to win by 12 or 13. He wins by 12, 13, 15, 20. It, you know, and so there, with few exceptions, the polls have been fairly accurate. In national polling, Cruz, Kasich, Rubio have beaten Hillary Clinton. Trump doesn't. I'm not saying it should eliminate him as a candidate. What should eliminate Donald Trump as a candidate is if Donald Trump is going to do things that are beneath the dignity of the office. And when you get involved in rolling in the mud with Twitter trolls, and we all have them, I call them keyboard warriors. Everyone that is that, you know, slappy 863 on Twitter, you know, you don't know who the real name is and they're brave and they call you names and they call your mother and your sister names. That's one thing for some anonymous person to do online. But when you're the candidate for president and you retweet those things, when members of your campaign behave that way and you condone the behavior, that's crazy. And for the Trump supporters that say Cruz started it, what does what someone else do? How does it dictate the way you behave? I just had a conversation with somebody in the building where I'm broadcasting from on, a, on, a, on one of our sports stations here in Phoenix. Some guys I know doing a sports show. They all come and ask about the political race. And the funny thing is the Trump supporters have been loud and clear in saying Donald Trump speaks the truth. He speaks his mind. He doesn't hold anything back. That's refreshing. No, it's not. That's dumb. I'll give you an example. Uh, many of you listening have children or grandchildren. What if one or more of your grandchildren or children are ugly? You know they're ugly. Everybody knows they're ugly. If I run into you somewhere and I say, 
That's one ugly kid right there. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just speaking my mind without a filter. Do any good for our conversation? Is it endearing? Am I endearing myself to you by speaking the truth and just saying what needs to be said? Why does that need to be said? Honestly, I know I'm being sarcastic, but what's the purpose of it? There's no purpose of it. What is the purpose of the guy that is leading by a large number of delegates in the Republican primaries across the country? retweeting a picture of his opponent's wife in just a horrible pose or a horrible moment. And then a picture of his wife in one of her modeling pictures. He didn't start that tweet, but he retweeted it. He jumped in the mud. And now we've got this National Enquirer story making allegations. And let's just say the allegations proved to be undeniably false how much time does ted cruz have to waste denying it but more so what does this do to everybody on the republican side of the aisle think about what's happening on the other side for just one moment and we're going to talk in the next hour more specifically about the democrat caucuses You have the leading candidate far and away. She's going to be the nominee in Hillary Clinton. No one trusts her. I shouldn't say no one. There is a shrinking group of people, diehard Hillary fans, that trust her and believe that there is a right-wing conspiracy that conjured up this email scandal and made it a big deal, got Congress to get involved, got the FBI to get involved, got the Justice Department to get involved, and somehow coerced. The family members on the tarmac from the Benghazi murders to lie and say that Hillary Clinton told them that she was going to get the people that made that video. They coerced the people to um, lie about the memory of their loved ones that died in Benghazi just to ruin her chances at president. There's a few people that still believe that. But by and large, the American voters do not trust, nor do they want Hillary Clinton to be president. Bernie Sanders is a socialist. Nobody in the Democratic Party wants to talk about that. Wasserman Schultz, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, that wants nothing to do with that conversation. She has run from that conversation 50 times. The Democrats do not want a self-affirmed socialist leading their ticket. And he's getting 15,000 people at rallies. You don't think that they're in trouble on the left? Of course they are. No one's talking about the dysfunction. They're talking about it being a rigged game at a at a uh, contested convention for the Republicans. Well, the Democrats have superdelegates. They've always had superdelegates that are handpicked by the party, that vote the way they want to. They don't have to listen to the voices of the voters, and they can basically decide the election. Hillary Clinton entered this race with hundreds of votes already to get her to the number she needed to get to. And with all of that mess and all of that dysfunction on the left, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz are going to roll in the mud over whose wife is hotter, who put up the memes, and whether or not there's some sex scandal with Ted Cruz. It's disappointing. It's the reason why Michael Savage said if Donald Trump doesn't denounce this article, he's probably going to pull his support. Um, I, he said, I may withdraw my support. If he doesn't disavow a disgusting National Enquirer story. Now, Trump denies having anything to do with it, but he didn't denounce the story itself. 
Let's get back to the issues at hand. Let's get back to the economy. Let's get back to the fact that John Kerry said we're going to put a huge dent in ISIS. I don't know what that means. Does John Kerry think ISIS is a car? Does he think it's a Kia ISIS? Does he think it's a car they're going to put a big dent in? As a matter of fact, in a few moments, new attacker arrested, new suspect in the Belgian terror attacks. We're going to talk about who this person is, what's happened, what our response has been, what our response should be. All of that coming up here in just a few moments. Again, my name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in for Slater today. I'll also be in for him next Saturday. Reach out on social media. I'll be back. Stick around. You're going to love what's next. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. All right, thanks for being here this afternoon. It is the Mike Slater Show. My name is Mike Broomhead, in for Slater today. Thanks for making this a part of your afternoon. Um, an update on the Belgian terror attacks. A couple of things that you need to know. They have arrested someone. I believe I'm pronouncing the name right. Fikau is the first name. Uh, is it Shefu? I'm not very good at these names. They have arrested this person in connection. They say this is one of the attackers that fled the airport. Um, they have arrested some other people as well. They've arrested someone identified as Reba N. and Abu Bakar A. They were charged with involvement in the activities of a terrorist group. Right now, the numbers are 31 dead, over 300 people injured in Brussels. And uh, they were planning a march, a solidarity march through the streets. The defense minister said, just don't do it right now because the police are already stretched thin trying to investigate these attacks. John Kerry was there, laid a wreath in honor of the fallen, and uh, said something I thought was odd. We're going to put a huge dent in ISIS this year. I don't know what that means, and it doesn't sound like we're coming to get you and we will destroy you. We're going to put a huge dent in ISIS, or ISIL, or Desh, or whatever he calls them. I, I don't, I'm, I'm just being honest with you, I don't understand any of that. Any of it. When the president was in Cuba, and I just thought it was bad optics. I, I don't think it's the end of the world. I know it's easy for me to, to jump on the back and everybody to jump on the back of the president. I don't agree with almost anything politically that the president has done. And I've tried to separate any personal dislike I have that I've developed for the president out of things because I just don't want to always be this beating the drum of negativity. I thought it was bad optics. I, you know, you're giving a speech in Cuba. And you interrupt for about 30 seconds to say that we're going to stand with our allies in Brussels and do everything we can. And it was just blah, blah, blah. And then you go to a baseball game and you address it again in the baseball game. I thought it was bad optics, but not the end of the world. The issue is when the president was being questioned later, and I believe it was in Argentina when he was being questioned about ISIS. And does this change what you're going to do? He actually said, I have a lot on my plate. Those were his exact words. You can you Google search that. He has a lot on his plate. They can't defeat us. They can't destroy us. They don't pose an existential threat to us. Well, I disagree that they don't pose a threat to us. Let me give you an example. And um, it's very easy for me to lean on where I am because a lot of where I am 
plays a part in these national stories, unfortunately, with the primaries in Arizona having a mess with theirs recently, but also with the porous border at the southern United States. The Tucson sector of the United States border is the most porous part of the entire southern border of the United States. There's a two-tier wall in Southern California that was built um, and largely, believe it or not, signed into law by Bill Clinton, but got was done by Duncan Hunter Sr. Duncan Hunter Jr. is in the Congress representing that district. Now, they have a two-tier wall in Southern California. Um, our attorney general, whose name is Mark Bernovich, B-R, there's no B-E-R, Bernovich, you want to look him up. Bernovich was talking and um, was discussing what's happening and said there is a large concern because there is Nogales, Arizona, and Nogales, Mexico, right across the border from each other. And he said that there has been a large uptick in money being sent, being wired from Nogales, Arizona, from Nogales, to Middle Eastern countries, a huge uptick that ranchers along the Arizona border that have their ranchers that border Mexico are finding coins from the Middle East on their property. That you know that the ICE and uh, and the Border Patrol, they keep statistics of the people that are caught at the border and where they're from. And there is a category. I know you're going to I know this is going to sound like racial profiling, but there is an actual category called OTMs other than Mexicans. And they keep track of what nations other they, the people they find are from. And we found people from communist China. We found people from all over the world. But recently, and this was pointed out by our attorney general in Arizona, They are finding people from Pakistan and other Middle Eastern countries, some of those countries with terrorist ties. Am I making a direct connection? No. Am I saying that they they caught terrorists at the border? I can't possibly say that. What I am saying to you is the attorney general is worried because we're finding coins from Middle Eastern countries. They're catching people from Middle Eastern countries at our border and money is being transferred from our American towns on the southern border to Middle Eastern countries. You do the math. So when we look at Brussels and we look what happened in Paris and look at a map where you see Paris and Brussels and then Germany. Look at where you see France, Belgium, Germany. You can see in that region, 400 people plus, they say, have been trained by ISIS to go into that part of Europe and at your discretion rise up and cause as much damage as possible. They're not going to take over Europe, just like they're not going to take over the United States. But what they're going to do is rise up and do damage. I don't know where you are today or what you're going to do today or what you've done today, depending on what part of the country you're in. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not even one o'clock in the afternoon where I am on the, on the Western United States. We don't change our clocks right now. We're on Pacific time. And depending on what you have planned this weekend, whether it's an Easter egg hunt or where you're going, do you want to have to look around for suspicious people? Taking my grandchildren here to the to the science center in downtown Phoenix, I was with my two daughters and each of my daughters has a son. One is four. One is three. And I'm walking around the science center. Nobody's armed. There's no police presence there. It's all families. All enjoying a good time with children in strollers and 
It's just a, a phenomenal place to be. And for the first time in my adult life, I looked around and I thought, you know what? This would be one of those places to meet out in mayhem. You do something here. You know who dies? Women and children. I've never thought that in my life. I don't want to think it again, and I certainly don't want my grandchildren growing up thinking it. So when John Kerry says, we are going to put a huge dent in ISIS, I don't know what that means. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I don't think he knows what that means. You hear the defense ministers, you hear what they said in, in, in France, what the leaders of France said, we're at war. What they say in Belgium, we're at war. We are at war with radical Islam. The best we get from our State Department is we're going to put a huge dent in ISIL or whatever they call them. And the president of the United States says, you know, yeah, yeah, we're going to take care of that. But I got a lot on my plate. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that. We'll take care of it. Trust me, we're working on it. The intelligence community feels ignored. The intelligence community in America feels as if they're sending data that the White House doesn't want to see. As a matter of fact, the White House dictates what data they get because they ask the questions. So are the people in the intelligence world this weekend where you and I may be celebrating Easter, where you and I are spending time with our families and our loved ones and and having a good time and celebrating the resurrection of Christ, one of the, the cornerstone of our faith in Christianity, there are people working diligently to make sure that these maniacs aren't going to make a statement by murdering us on this weekend. And the intelligence community works diligently to get information that's either ignored or told they don't want. We don't want to see that because then there's plausible deniability. And in the end, who gets blamed is the intelligence community. We didn't have that data. We, we had no knowledge. We'd, the White House had no knowledge that those people were in this country. Well, did you not know because the information wasn't available? Or did you not know because you specifically told the intelligence gatherers, we don't want that information? And if you don't think that the White House is saying we don't want that information, you are very, very wrong. The White House dictates the questions. Therefore, they get the answers they want. So in Belgium, they've arrested these new people. They are now collecting data there. They're working their way in concentric circles outward from the bombings. Who are the people that did the bombing? Who are the people then that helped set up the bombing? Where did they come from? Who did they train them? Where did they get their money? Who are their friends and associates? And they're beginning to find these rings of people, these cells of people. And the overwhelming response from them is, more is coming. They thwarted a plan that was in the advanced stages. So here's my question on this issue before we move on to anything else. Fort Hood was called workplace violence because it didn't go along with the script of a terrorist attack in this country and this president never wanting one. So it wasn't just optics. There were members of the United States military that were gunned down by a fellow soldier who was running around the base shouting Allah Akbar as he gunned down his fellow soldiers. He was warned. uh, They warned about him to his superiors. And it took it literally took an act of Congress to get it called a terrorist attack. San Bernardino, it took our president two or three days to call it terrorism when it was obviously terrorism. 
and then the spousal visas and looking into how did this woman get in here saying the things she said on social media, but the optics of not wanting to appear to be racist or to be racial profiling. So we didn't look into the social media, um, uh, I don't know, what would you call them, habits of the people we would let into the country. And we're finding out this was a husband and wife put together, whether they were truly romantic lovers or they were just put together in a marriage of convenience for terrorist, terrorist reasons We're terrorists in our midst. How long are we going to turn a blind eye? It just, it boggles my mind. The one other thing I will say on this topic before we close it out, uh, Belgium is worried about their nuclear power plant. If you heard the story earlier, early after the attacks, the day of the attacks, they uh, evacuated a nuclear power plant. I told you briefly about Arizona and the finding of coins and the shipping of money and finding of people from Middle Eastern nations. Uh, There is a nuclear power plant in western, west of downtown Phoenix, and it's called Palo Verde. It is a very large nuclear power plant, very well guarded and everything else. But um, it's not far from the border. We're hours from the border by car. Um. Just throwing out there what these maniacs are up to. In a moment, the Easter Bunny arrested at a mall. I'm going to tell you why they arrested the Easter Bunny at a mall. It's funny at first, but scary when you finally get the details. It's the Mike Slater Show. My name is Mike Broomhead. We'll be back. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about the Democrat caucuses that are going on. Three states up for grabs. You know, again, the Democrats, no winner-take-all states for the Dems, so they do things proportionally. But it's supposed to be a big day for Bernie Sanders because Bernie does very well in states where there are caucuses for the Democrats. And we'll talk about what's happening in that race. All eyes seem to be on Trump right now because he always makes the news. Um But we'll talk more specifically about the Democrats in the next hour. I find it interesting. I saw a graphic, and I'm sure you've heard this, a graphic of how much the value of the free publicity Donald Trump has received. And um, I I do think a lot of it's contrived. I think he's done a great job. And, well, if what you're looking for is free free publicity, he's done a great job. But uh, he has been given about $2 billion, yes, $2 billion with a B, in free publicity based on what's happened during that campaign. But the Democrat caucuses in the next hour, San Francisco mayor specifically barring travel to Georgia and North Carolina based on the laws that are being passed in those states. And uh, we'll talk about a professor who was ordered to apologize or lose his job. What could he possibly have said that may cost him his job? But on a Minot, Minot, North Dakota, not a good time for malls in North Dakota. A young man named Daniel Sanderson was arrested And he was arrested on his way to his job. He was going to be the Easter Bunny at the mall to take pictures with kids, except um, he uh, he he left out one little thing, one little detail. Um, I guess I shouldn't say he left out one little thing that could get me in trouble when I give you the punchline of the story. Um, 
You see, Daniel forgot to register as a sex offender uh, a year earlier, according to court records. He pleaded guilty to um, exposing himself to a 10-year-old. So uh, this is the guy that was hired through a temp service called Command Labor to be the Easter Bunny at the uh, Dakota Square Mall. Um I never quite understood any of that anyway. I, 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 all of us seem to have a picture in our childhood of sitting on Santa Claus's lap, screaming our guts out because, you know, when you're three, sitting on some strange old guy's lap is not exactly fun. And parents seem to have this great thrill out of taking a picture of a screaming child on Santa's lap. Well, the Easter Bunny's no less creepy. No kid at three years old wants to see a six foot rabbit. Well, now we know why this guy was not going to get to his job. So there you have it. In the next hour, we will discuss the Democrat caucuses, the San Francisco mayor, which is a great story. We went through this in Arizona with SB 1070, the immigration bill. Are these laws, are these laws in North Carolina and Georgia, are they anti-gay legislation or are they religious freedom legislation? It depends on how you look at it. And um, we'll give you a, a unique perspective on that coming up in the next hour. At Broomhead Show on Twitter. The Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook or all one word Mike Broomhead on Instagram. If you're a social media user, that's how you find me. This is the Mike Slater program, but I'm in from Phoenix, Arizona. My name is Mike Broomhead. Stick around. You're going to love what's next. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, thanks for being here. It is the Mike Slater Show, but my name, I'm Mike Broomhead. I am in for Slater this week. Uh, thanks for being with us. A lot, to, a lot to talk about, headlines to catch you up on, which we're going to do here right now as we roll into this hour of the program. Thanks for being a part of it. At Broomhead Show is how you can find me on Twitter. I appreciate the interaction from so many already. Um, Democrat caucuses underway. Hawaii, Alaska, and Washington up for grabs. They will uh, caucus in all three states. Bernie Sanders doing very well in states with a caucus. If you look at the support, this is part of the discussion that's not happening that should be. If the Republicans could tone it down a little. And, you know, Donald Trump, a big part of that because he's the leader. He is all eyes on the Donald. But if they could just tone down the rhetoric, just one week, have nothing to talk about with the Republican race. Nothing. We could focus on the freak show that's on the other side. Bernie Sanders. You see the Bernie Sanders rally thing with the podium where the bird landed on the podium? Real story. A bird landed on the podium at a Bernie Sanders rally, and the place came unglued. You would have thought it was the resurrection. You would have thought they had just witnessed the resurrection themselves. They lost their minds when a bird landed on the podium at a Sanders rally. So uh, Bernie Sanders making a lot of noise. 15,000 people attend a Bernie Sanders uh, rally. I I don't understand. Well, I do understand. There was a lack of knowledge. You'll hear from the president, and I was going to do it this hour, but I'm going to do it in the third hour. The president of the United States speaking in Argentina after his trip to Cuba, and I've got my a lot of opinions on that trip, which we'll discuss as well. And um, 
he really lays out talking to young kids from Argentina and saying to them, you know, you shouldn't think about all these differences, socialism, communism, capitalism, you know, whatever. doesn't need to fit neatly into a little box. You just kind of do what works. And if you think I'm taking the president out of context, I've taken a full one minute out of the statements he made so that you, it's not taken out of context. You can hear exactly what he said and what he meant. And it's very important because as we're looking, Bernie Sanders is making promises to people that normally they wouldn't want. Generations past wouldn't have wanted. I'm not insulting this generation. I'm going to insult them later when we talk about Emory University and, uh, and also another college professor at another college that's being uh, that's in trouble. But Emory University is the place with the safe place. And somebody put Trump 2016 in chalk and it made students cry. I'm not exaggerating. A girl cried. She was afraid. And now what the the president of Emory University says is going to happen if they find out who did this. I'll make fun of college students then. I'm not making fun of young people now. But in generations past, if you had said, we're going to give free college, and people would say, I don't want anything for free. I don't want anything I haven't paid for. Does anybody remember when taking a handout was something we did not want? It, was, it wasn't an insult as much as it was a defeat. You took things when you needed them, but you never wanted to admit that you needed them. I mean, that's how it always was. Everything I have is not much, but everything I have is mine. That was the way we were. And it seems to have been, it's lost on a generation. And I, I'm not blaming them. I'm not insulting them. I'm just making the observation Bernie Sanders is going to give everything away. There's going to be a discussion about this in the next hour at greater length because of where we are. But we talk about the Democrat caucuses. I'll just give you a couple of examples of this as and we'll roll into it in a few moments. But of, of health care costs and college and we'll talk about the caucuses momentarily. Um. Donald Trump denies having anything to do with the Ted Cruz National Enquirer story. Now, the stories have been written about how close the editor of or the head of the National Enquirer and Donald Trump are. They've been friends for years. And did Donald Trump have anything to do with the hit piece against Ben Carson when they were neck and neck? And is his camp or his people involved in this now? I don't know the answer to it. But the question is, why are we doing this? I mean, as a society, why are we doing this? Why are we dredging up dirt and let's talk about issues, talk about the economy, let's talk about the deficit spending of the United States government. You want to know what the biggest threat to national security is right now? It's that. History should tell us that. How did Ronald Reagan win the Cold War? Ronald Reagan won the Cold War economically. Mikhail Gorbachev and the Soviet Union had a fledgling economy that couldn't keep up with ours. And Reagan said, if you think you're going to keep up with us in an arms race, you're wrong. We will cripple your economy if you even try. The ICBMs, the, the ballistic missiles, nuclear missiles, uh, Star Wars defense systems, the, all of the different things that were happening when Russia would rear its ugly head and they would point missiles at us in Europe. We would point our missiles back at them and threat, dare them to go ahead and flip the switch. But when they tried to keep up with us in an arms race, it crippled their economy and the Soviet Union fell apart without firing a shot. The power of an economy to rise up a military on a moment's notice and to switch gears and to build things to protect a nation are instrumental. 
And if our economy is spending its $17 trillion with no end in sight and we're borrowing money from our enemies like China, we don't have to lose militarily. The continental United States and worrying about an invasion is such a a small worry about a a military force invading us. I'm not talking about North Korea firing a nuclear missile or the Iranians having the capabilities. I'm talking about them landing on our shores or landing in our airports and invading us. We are far more likely to be beaten economically because of what's happening. Instead of talking about those things, instead of having rational adults standing up and talking about this, We're talking about whose wife is hotter and whether or not there's a sex scandal. The size of Donald Trump's hands and feet. I mean, the whole thing. And then the absurdity of that is what gives the media the excuse not to focus on the absurdity of what's happening on the other side of the aisle. Their leading candidate is facing an indictment. Whether that indictment happens or not, we don't know. But the investigation is real enough. I have the paperwork. We're going to sh- I'm going to share with you what the FBI leaked documents are. Hillary Clinton lied about her emails over and over and over again. And instead of forcing the media to scrutinize that, we're giving them all the fodder. to, to, to All they want is an excuse to look somewhere else. And it's given to them at every single turn. The update on the Paris attacks and I'm sorry, the Brussels attacks is they've arrested a couple of other people, identified them by name. These are people. One of them in particular was seen leaving the airport. We know that there was one bomb that was not detonated at the airport. It was the biggest of the bombs that would have gone off where 300 people total were injured between the airport and the subway tunnel. This could have been much, much worse as far as injured and dead. Thirty one people killed, including Americans injured in this thing and killed. And uh, John Kerry from the State Department says we're going to put a huge dent in ISIS. Ooh, that would scare me. I know if I was ISIS and I were cutting off people's heads, I would be afraid if John Kerry said we're going to put a huge dent in you. Nothing seems to be done or nothing seems to be going on with defeating them. Now, I know people are going to say, what about this was happening and that was happening? The world doesn't see it that way. When 9-11 happened to us, our European allies stood shoulder to shoulder with us. Whether you agreed with the invasion of Iraq or not, they went with us. And here we are with the, with the nations in, in Europe saying we are at war with radical Islam and our government will not even say the phrase radical Islam. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk a little bit later on about the president's visit to Cuba and Argentina. Very significant, trying to reinstitute or normalize relations with that country of Cuba. What a horrible idea this is and why it is and why I have such great knowledge of why this is a horrible idea. It is, again, it's optics, but it's more than that. What we stand for in North America, what we stand for in this part of the world, what Cuba stands for just 90 miles south of Key West... I grew up in that part of the country. I grew up in a town in southwest Florida, and I literally lived closer to Havana on a map than I did Atlanta, Georgia, and what's happening with that island nation. And finally, in the headlines, battle over Georgia and North Carolina and what I would call a religious freedom law versus what they're calling anti-gay legislation, where now the mayor of San Francisco is is not allowing any travel of anybody that works in the city to those places in in, um, protest of those new pieces of legislation that were passed in those states.
But in a moment, we'll dig a little deeper into the Democrat caucuses and the race between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders for the Democrat nomination for president. What all of this means for America, because the reality is if the Republicans keep doing this, one of these two very likely could be elected president of the United States. What they're talking about, what the differences between the two are and what we really ought to be afraid of. All of that coming up here in just one moment. My name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in for Mike Slater. This is the Mike Slater program. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, thanks for being here this afternoon. Mike Broomhead in for Slater. Let's talk about the Democrat caucuses today. Three states up for grabs right now. Hawaii, Alaska, Washington state up for grabs as the Democrats caucus. And um, Bernie Sanders does well in states that caucus. But the numbers are still far, far and away against him. Hillary Clinton holds a 1,229 to 952 delegate lead. That does not include the hundreds of superdelegates that have already pledged their support for Hillary Clinton. So even if Sanders does extremely well and Washington state is a big battleground for him, Sanders has got an uphill climb. Hillary Clinton seems to be the heir apparent and she seems to be the candidate. But Bernie Sanders making it more interesting than anybody on that side of the aisle wants to talk about. But why in the world is anybody listening to on either side of the aisle? Why would we be entertaining the idea of a socialist? And here's what scares me more than anything. We've created a nation of haves and have-nots. And what I mean by that is um, if you've read, and I've talked about this so many times on this network, you're probably getting tired of hearing about it. If you've ever read the Communist Manifesto, the Communist Manifesto lays out this plan very, very well. I'm not saying that they read it and follow it. I'm just saying maybe by virtue of their ideology, it just seems to fall into place. Uh, The Communist Manifesto divides people into two groups, the haves and the have-nots. You've got the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And the bourgeoisie, bourgeoisie are the very rich, the very wealthy, the very powerful that get their wealth and their power by by doing it on the backs of the proletariat. They have no power. They have no ability to climb out of their powerless state. They are strictly under the thumb of the rich. And how do we end that? What do we do? How do we get those unwashed masses to gather together? Because there are far more of the have-nots than there are of the haves, but they still can't seem to be organized. They can't seem to get it together. If they would just rise up in unison, they could defeat the haves and make a happy life for themselves. How do you do that? And there's something called the immiseration of the proletariat. And the immiseration of the proletariat is if people have no idea how bad they have it, We're just going to go and explain it to them. You may think you have a happy life. Let me explain to you how bad you have it. If you understood just how bad you have it, you'd want to rise up like I do. You think you have a good life. You think your life is okay. Let me explain to you, you don't have a good life. You know who has a good life? Those people over there. They've got the good life. They have the good life, and they're getting their good life by your work. That's the immiseration of the proletariat. Well, we've been doing that for a very long time. It used to be 
We were a nation where we held up the successful, the wealthy, sure, because I think wealthy is a byproduct of success. You have a good product. It doesn't matter what you do. I was an electrical contractor. If you are a very good electrical contractor, success, wealth comes from that success. If you can sing, if you can dance, if you can write, if you can speak, if you can draw, paint, if you are someone that knows electronics, if you are in the computer industry, if you are the elite in your industry and successful, wealth seems to be a byproduct of that success. We used to hold successful people up in this country as examples of achievement and say to people, do you see that? If you work hard, you can be that. Not everyone gets there, but you can be that. And instead, what we've turned into is a nation that points to those successful people. And we have a president that say, you didn't build that. You didn't do that. When the president gave the commencement address at Arizona State University very early in his presidency, he encouraged the students that were graduating from Arizona State University to not strive for the corner office and not strive for wealth, but to go to work for nonprofit organizations and volunteer. And it was such a stupid comment because how do you think nonprofits get funded if not by the benevolence of wealthy people? If you want nonprofits to stay viable, you need wealthy people that are good enough to give of that wealth to make sure those nonprofits stay funded. But we've turned into this nation of of haves and have nots. And Bernie Sanders wants you to know that we're going to get a real minimum wage of $15 an hour or maybe more so that people can make a living. And it's stupid. And I'll tell you why it's stupid. And we all know inherently why it's stupid. Because minimum wage is just that, and the quality of life is never going to change. You can pay somebody minimum wage of $25 an hour, and the cost of living is going to go up so that $25 an hour affords you the exact same lifestyle that $8 an hour affords you. The cost of living goes up. Every manufacturer of every product, whether it's food or clothing or electronics or anything else, has a baseline of who's going to buy this. What can we charge to get the most out of what we want. There is a huge amount of money spent on marketing and on price point in every product on the market. So it's the dollar menu at McDonald's, right? Well, if everybody's making 20 bucks an hour, that becomes the $5 menu, not the dollar menu. So unless you're going to push it from both ends, unless you are going to raise wages arbitrarily and then cap profits by legislation, you're never going to change the quality of life. The way you change the quality of life is opportunity. But in this, now it's important to see what they're doing. Chelsea, Chelsea Clinton was speaking to a group of people on behalf of her mother's candidacy, and you know what she blasted? She blasted the outrageous health care costs because of Obamacare. And then said, you know, my mother's plan back in the 90s solved this problem. They want to cap out-of-pocket expenses. They want to cap premiums. Well, how do you do that? Now you're legislating that everybody has to buy this, and now you're going to tell the insurance companies this is all you're allowed to charge. They're already going bankrupt. Instead of deregulating, you know, with automobile insurance, and I'm oversimplifying, but in automobile insurance, if you've got a car that's 15 years old and it's not worth anything, you can have the minimum coverage to be on the road. If you cause damage to somebody else's vehicle or you hurt somebody else in an accident, that's your fault. Your insurance covers that. It's basic coverage, PIP, personal injury protection, PIP and liability insurance. 
Not for theft, not for vandalism, not for fire, not for anything else on your vehicle. If you drive it into a bridge, then it gets towed away and you start all over again because the vehicle's not worth anything. It's minimum amount of coverage for minimum expense. And if you're someone like me that's accumulated some stuff now, you can get full coverage. I have full coverage on a brand new vehicle. I bought a 2015 Ford F-150 last year, and I love my truck. I have full coverage. I've raised my minimums to 100,000, 300,000. I'm protected. I have full glass coverage. I have theft. I have fire. I have vandalism coverage on my car. I have a 24-hour towing service, and I pay through the nose because I want to be protected. We could do the same thing with health insurance. Deregulate it. And instead of seeing Progressive and Geico and all these companies fight over our automobile insurance business, let the same companies fight over our health insurance business by deregulating it and getting the government out of the way. Instead, the haves and the have-nots, remember, and Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are both fighting for votes on the Democrat side of which one is going to be able to take from those that have to give to those that don't. And make sure everybody has a level playing field and it's fair. It's an impossible thing to do, by the way. But that's what they're saying. Later on, we'll talk about the economy of the United States in which the United States Treasury has taken in record money into the Treasury for every quarter in the last year and a half. And they're still spending at deficits. And yet these people still say they need to give more. In a moment, the San Francisco mayor boycotting Georgia and North Carolina. Why would he do that? The story about the religious freedom bills. Talk about that here in a few moments. Again, my name is Mike Broomhead, at Broomhead Show on Twitter. It's the Mike Clater Show. Stick around. You're going to love what's next. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio, this is Mike Slater. See, I think Slater says that just to rub it in my face. I, I wish I was part of the next generation of anything, but I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 49 years old, so I'm, I'm not the new generation of just about anything, except I'll be part of the new generation of the senior discount in just a few years. Um, San Francisco mayor bans travel to North Carolina after North Carolina passes, this is the headline, legally sanctioned discrimination against the LGBT community. Another us against them fight. Always us against them. That's the way it is. Let's let's talk about this in a rational way about the transgender legislation in North Carolina. North Carolina dared to pass a law that said that when you're in a public place, you will use the restroom of your gender and not the one you identify with. In other words, without getting too uh, graphic because it's a family network, if you, uh, if you got the parts of a boy, you use the boy's bathroom. If you got the parts of a girl, you use the girl's bathroom. That's just the way it is. And uh, I don't see a problem with it. I'm sorry. I, um, I know this is I'm going to give you the defense everyone gives. I have lots of transgender friends. I actually had someone that worked for me back in my construction days that was transgender. One of the best. And this was on a construction site. So you can imagine with all of the stereotypes of a construction site, this person was transgender, male, was transitioning into female and was in the middle of the transition. And uh, you can imagine the raised eyebrows and the comments on a construction site ended up being one of the more respected people on the job site because the person just did their job. Um, 
And uh, I made the mistake in a meeting of saying he, and she corrected me and said she, and then I did it again. I accidentally said he. I got corrected again. So went and pulled this person aside and said, listen, I apologize. And they said, no, no, I get it. It's no big deal. It happens all the time. It was very, we both had a mutual understanding and a mutual respect. But when you're talking about a public setting, this is how this has happened. Someone that's transgender says, I identify as female, even though I am anatomically male. Therefore, I'm uncomfortable in the men's room. So I'd like to use the ladies' room because I'm uncomfortable in the men's room. Well, they go into the ladies' room, and they make the ladies in there uncomfortable. So whose comfort wins? That's what this boils down to. Whose comfort wins out? The vast majority Well, the very small minority. And of course, it's always the minority that wins out. I have, I don't believe that anyone who is transgender should be ridiculed, mocked, certainly not physically assaulted, ever. But when you're talking about the comfort of people in a restroom, especially when you're looking at a school setting, a public school setting, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ludicrous to say that this bill is anti-LGBT. First of all, it has nothing to do with the lesbian or the gay or the bisexual community. The very first thing that anybody that's transgender will tell you in their defense is gender identity has nothing to do with sexual orientation. Nothing to do with it. So how does this bill have anything to do with the LGB part of the LGBT community? It doesn't. It's more of the us against them. In Georgia, where they're getting ready to pass a law that says if you do not want to partake in a uh, ceremony or something to do with a gay wedding, you don't have to. See, I don't know why we have to have that law. It seems to me that freedom dictates you don't have to. You know, in America, the fight has been about gay marriage has been why should your Christian or your religious, let's just not narrow it down to Christianity, Why should your morality and your ethics dictate that whether or not I can get married? If a gay couple wants to get married, why is your Judeo-Christian ethics or whatever they are, why should your morality be put upon me? I should be able to get married if I want to. Well, if that's the argument, fair enough. Why should your desire to be married be put upon me if I believe it's wrong? And... Courts all over the place have been siding on the issue, and not on constitutional grounds, of course, but on what they would say this living, breathing document of the Constitution that says that you can't discriminate. It's not discriminatory, not in the least. If there is a baker in town that doesn't want to make your cake, there's five that will. If a business says, I don't want to make it because I don't want to participate in a gay wedding, You can picket them. You can say whatever you want against them. And if their business closed down because of public opinion, so be it. That's the way life is. But to legislate that that business has to based on moral grounds is ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I'll go a step further. And this is where it ends up biting people. And it will in the long run. If anybody wants to argue the point. If... You and anybody, and I hope that there are people that listen to this network and that are listening to this show that disagree with me. I hope they're out there. I I love to have the civil discourse of this conversation. Let's say you are adamantly pro-choice. You are pro-abortion, not even pro-choice. You're pro-abortion, 
Planned Parenthood abortion should be uh, available. It's just medicine and it just should be legal. And I, as I am, adamantly pro-life. So I'm doing a pro-life fundraiser with an organization. There's an organization here in Arizona called the Center for Arizona Policy, but there are many good ones around the country. And I'm a pro-life group, and we are going to have a gala, and we are going to have a big dinner, and we're going to raise money to end Roe v. Wade. So I come to you, and I say, you're a caterer, and this is what I'm doing, and I want you to cater my affair. And you say to me, with all due respect, I am pro-choice. And no offense, I hate everything you stand for. I am not making the food to help you raise money to end Roe v. Wade when it's the one thing that I will always fight to stand for. Should you be forced to make the food for my fundraiser? The answer is no. You should be able to deny any time you want for any reason. If you're a Bernie Sanders supporter and I've got a Ted Cruz rally that I'm making food for, should you be forced to make the food? No. You should be able to deny for any reason. You know why? Because if you don't want to cater my event, there's 15 caterers that will. There are 15 caterers that could care less about politics or the abortion issue. I'll go to one of them. We have yet to get to what if I am a Jewish caterer or I'm a Muslim caterer and you ask me to make pork chops. I want pulled pork sandwiches. We've, there are many of these things, but because it's the gay and lesbian issue, this is now turned into the us against them. And it doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It doesn't matter what freedom dictates. It doesn't matter what any of this. This is the emotional pull that says us against them. Hate crime laws. Ridiculous. If a gay couple walks out of a restaurant and somebody beats them up because they're gay, or if I walk out of the restaurant with somebody and somebody beats me up because I'm wearing a, uh, I don't know, I'm wearing an Arizona Coyotes hat, which I'm wearing today because I'm a hockey fan. And so somebody, uh, they're playing the Flyers tonight. So so one of the maniac uh, Philadelphia fans sees me in a Coyotes hat, picks a fight and tries to beat me up. Am I any less beaten up than the gay couple? No, but the gay couple, that's a hate crime because now you've done this for hate reasons. That's not what the American justice system is about. And if the mayor of San Francisco wants to say we're not going to travel to those two states, then those two states should say good. And if businesses and corporations are saying we're going to leave your state if you pass these legislations, you should say so be it. And you've got to make sure you send the message the way it is. It's not anti-gay. It's pro-freedom. It's pro-religion. The argument for, for gay marriage has been we should be afforded the same freedoms as everybody else. That the morality of other people, whether you agree with this rationale or not, the rationale has been your morality should not be inflicted upon me. Part of my problem on the issue is I don't believe that the government doesn't, should be involved in the marriage business. That's just my feeling on it. I think that you shouldn't need to go to a government agency to get a license to get married. That's between you and God. And if you can find a church that wants to marry, and if you don't believe in God, that's between you and whoever it is you're making the pact with. We have to get a license to get married. Well, Mike, there's a lot of reasons for that, and it's so people don't marry their sisters, and there's no inbreeding, and, and okay. The government does not give me the right to get married. The government does not bless or ordain my marriage. 
So when a pastor says, by the power vested in me, by God and the state of whatever, I think the state of whatever, what power do they have? And that's how the governments have gotten into this mess with the gay marriage issue. This is a doctrinal issue. If you attend a church that ordain or, or allows gay marriage, that's between you and the doctrine of your church. Take it up with them doctrinally. And this, for the San Francisco mayor to stick his nose in, this is publicity. This is look at me. This is look at how progressive I am. Look at me. Remember, the same agency that didn't turn the guy over to ICE because they're a sanctuary city. Remember the guy that found the drugs in a dumpster and found a gun under a park bench and was high out of his mind and murdered that girl by shooting her on a pier with her father? And her last words were, Dad, help me. The illegal immigrant that should have been deported, that they refused to hold. Yeah, that mayor, that town. So this isn't about freedom. This isn't about your right to choose and disagree. We can disagree with things. There was a a farm that was sued and lost because they would not hold a lesbian wedding on their property. And they said before, we've had events, we've had receptions for gay couples, we've had other things on our property for people. We have no problem with that. We just don't want the ceremony here. Not good enough. You're going to get sued and you're going to lose. Absolutely ridiculous. In a moment, a professor ordered to apologize for something he put in a blog or lose his job. And an update on Emory University. That's the university where some students, 40 students, protested because somebody dared write in chalk Trump 2016 and it made students cry. Yeah, it made them cry. This story makes me cry. It makes my head hurt. We'll talk about this here in a moment. This is the Mike Slater Show. My name is Mike Broomhead. I'll be back. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, thanks for being here. Mike Broomhead, Phoenix, Arizona, in for Slater. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for making us a part of your weekend. Um, you can find me on social media, at Broomhead Show, Mike Broomhead on Instagram, and the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook. Would love to have some interaction with you. A couple of stories I thought we'd finish the hour with. Uh, next hour, we talk about the president's trip to Cuba and Argentina and some audio of the president speaking to students in Argentina and young people and really doesn't craft much of a difference between capitalism, socialism, and communism, and the significance of those statements being the president of the United States, and we are supposed to be the beacon of capitalism, but uh, really doesn't give much of a difference. You'll hear the audio in the next hour. Um, We'll get to that in a few moments. A professor at Marquette University, his name is John McAdams, he has a blog called The Marquette Warrior, and he's conservative, and he usually... Uh, makes, you know, obviously conservative commentary on his blog. There is an um, undergraduate and graduate student, Cheryl, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Abate, A-B-B-A-T-E, if it's pronounced Abate, I don't know, who was teaching a philosophy course. She was discussing how the philosophy of John Rawls could be used in modern political debates. And then when she reached the gay rights issue, 
she skipped over it saying that everybody agrees on this as if there is no debate on the gay rights issue. When the class was over, one of the students in the class that opposes gay marriage approached her and was arguing that it was disrespectful to dismiss his view out of hand. And the professor responded that his opinions are not appropriate for the class. And the student had videoed all of this with a, you know, with a cell phone. So all of it's on tape of this professor dismissing this out of hand. And um, so this guy went onto his blog and said, this is the silencing that happens by the left, that when you don't want to talk about something, you call it hate speech and you shout it down and nobody's allowed to disagree with me because it's hateful if you disagree with me. The undergraduate professor said that it was inappropriate. And now the school has threatened Marquette University has threatened that if this professor does not apologize for what he said on his blog, he's going to lose his job. That, along with this, Emory University made news this week. Somebody had written in chalk, Trump 2016, on the sidewalks out on campus. And there were, there were students that cried. There were 40 students that protested, a very small number of students from the student body. But they did. They cried and protested and said that by the university's silence, they are agreeing with and condoning the statements. Well... We all know you're going to cave into pressure. James Wagner is the president of Emory University, has now said they are going to be looking at surveillance cameras around the campus. And if they can identify who did it, and it's a student, that they would be brought up on charges of violation of conduct, conduct violation process. If they're not students, they're going to charge them with trespassing. Emory's a private university. So uh, the president said that they are going to work hard to identify who this person is and charge them. Again, since when did college campuses lose their identity as places of open debate? I remember college campuses being the place where you took on social arguments. You could take both sides of the argument. College students can take it. One girl cried and said, I deserve to feel safe here. I feel threatened. I'm never going to lose my job, ever. No college students ever replacing me, ever. I'll be back in the next hour. We'll talk more about the president's visit to Cuba and Argentina. We'll talk about the implications of it. You'll hear audio of the president talking about socialism, communism, and capitalism. Stick around. You're going to love what's next. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, thanks for being here. This is uh, Mike Broomhead, Phoenix, Arizona, in for Slater another hour. Thank you for making this a part of your day. Uh, always a thrill to be on the network. Um, the way you can reach me, at Broomhead Show on Twitter. Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. If you're an Instagram user, I'm the king of blurry pictures if you want to check out my Instagram page. And uh, the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook. I do the morning drive show at KFYI in Phoenix, Arizona. 
And for the last hour, and I'm not, listen, I don't preach to people, or at least I try not to. I don't give too many civics lessons, um, although I think we all have a common sense approach to things. I, oh, I'm always open for those that disagree. What I don't understand is the lack of conversation. It, it is, I can lay out my case, as I often do, as I did earlier for the Democrats, and we're going to start with the Democrat caucuses going on right now. Here are the headlines of what you need to be caught up on for the weekend. Democrats caucusing in three states, Hawaii, Alaska, Washington. And they are fighting over about, I think, 142 delegates. Nothing is a winner-take-all for the Dems. I talked about the us-against-them mentality, the have-versus-the-have-nots mentality that the Democrats run on, especially in a primary. They'll sprint to the center in the general, but they will sprint to the left. And right now, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton both trying to figure out which of them is going to give away more to the American people. What are you entitled to? Health care is a birthright. Everything's a birthright. Education, higher education, now college education going to be free, just like public education is. And I'll ask you this. Just run this through your mind if you think that they're right. The public education K-12 through system in America has let us down. I think most people would agree with that. Instead of fixing primary education first, they want to expand it another four years and do the same thing they've done with high school education in the college world. Common Core, all this, stop it. But the Democrat caucuses, I lay out my case for the uh, Communist Manifesto, the us against them, the, the immiseration of the proletariat, the bourgeoisie standing on the necks of the proletariat. I lay that case out. I make a good case. Whether you agree with me or not, if you believe you can defeat my argument, I welcome you to. But instead of us having that conversation, your response is, well, yeah, you're ugly. Okay. I, I'm, I, may, I, I am. If I were good looking, I'd be on TV. Um, wait a minute. I am on TV. Um, so the the argument about being ugly is fine. We can may, we can have that ad hominem argument. I may be ugly. Doesn't change what I said and whether or not you can defeat it. The Democrats caucusing, though, and they are going to fight over the delegates. Hillary Clinton still the odds on favor to be the nominee for the Democrats, even though she may be indicted, which is what I find fascinating about this race. It doesn't matter. You know, Donald Trump will be the controversial Donald Trump when he's introduced. Ted Cruz will always have the moniker they put on Ted Cruz when he's introduced. But they don't ever say the possibly indicted or federally investigated Hillary Clinton ever. But the people on the right side of the aisle are just giving them every opportunity and excuse not to cover that part on the left. For all the dysfunction on the right, you have to admit they have got somebody that's being investigated by the FBI. Hillary Clinton is being investigated by the Federal Bureau of Investigations and the Justice Department. Someone that worked for her, her IT expert, was given immunity for his testimony. Not talking about it. Bernie Sanders is a self-affirmed socialist, and he's challenging her and getting tens of thousands of people at rallies. He's not a Democrat. He caucuses with the Democrats. He's a socialist. That's dysfunction. But instead of talking about that, we're talking about the other side, because right now it's Donald versus Ted. They uh, D- Donald calls him Lion Ted and says, your wife is ugly. And he retweets memes of, of his wife looking not attractive, which is not fair and not true, by the way. Mrs. Cruz is a very lovely woman. 
And to Ted Cruz's um, credit, I will say, that when all of this started, Ted Cruz said, I had nothing to do with the criticism of your wife. Leave my wife out of it. And when Donald Trump did this, he said, you know, your wife is lovely. So is mine. Leave my wife out of this. But we're wrestling in the mud instead of talking about the issues that are important to the American people. So this hour, I thought maybe let's talk about some of the issues. Let's talk about what's happening. Brussels, a terrorist attack in Brussels. They've arrested a couple of more people. Somebody that was leaving the airport. They believe he was one of the suspects leaving the airport. There was an undetonated bomb, the biggest of the three. Two went off, injuring hundreds in the airport. One did not go off. In the raids in the following day, they found in one place, they found nail bombs, chemicals, and an ISIS flag. In Brussels, by the way. Well, they've now arrested a couple of people in connection with this. Abdul Salam, the guy who was involved in the Paris attacks, said, I was eh, loosely, kind of lightly, very superficially involved in the Paris attacks. And we're now seeing the enormity of the ISIS presence in Europe, Paris, Brussels, Germany. Merkel in big political trouble because of the refugee problem in that country. But what's happening in Europe, what about what we're doing? The president's response was none. None. He actually said, I have a lot on my plate. You look at what John Kerry said, we're going to put a huge dent in ISIS. I'm serious. I think he believes it's a car. We're going to put a big dent in ISIS. It's, it's made by Kia, I think. It's a Kia ISIS. We're going to put a big dent in the side of it. Nobody believes we have a foreign policy. Our allies sure don't feel like we're an ally anymore. We sure aren't standing shoulder to shoulder with them when they say we are at war with radical Islam. You can't get the people on the left to say it. Bill Maher, of all people, Bill Maher said to the Democrats, if you cannot say the phrase radical Islam, we will lose the election. They will not say it. We talked earlier about the battle in Georgia and North Carolina over their religious freedom laws. But the problem is nobody's calling them the religious freedom laws. The left is calling them. The mayor of San Francisco calls them anti-LGBT laws. No, they're not. They're not anti-gay. And when you talk about them rationally, 90% of this country agrees. It has nothing to do with discriminating against gay people. But if somebody that is transgender, that is transitioning from woman to man, man to woman, if they want to use the restroom of their gender, they they can. But they shouldn't be able to go and say, I still look like a man, and I'm going to go into the women's locker room or the women's restroom. And all of the women in that locker room should not be uncomfortable, so their comfort must be sacrificed so that I can be comfortable. That's not an American principle. Not at all. And it says nothing about um, denigrating anyone who is transgender either, by the way. It's telling someone that's transgender, you are the minority here. You are the person going through the change. And we'll make you as comfortable as possible. But your comfort does not supersede the comfort of the majority. Just so we can make a politically correct statement that says it should be that way. No. 
I think it's the Michigan high school systems are going to allow students from K through 12 to choose the restroom they feel they identify with. I was a high school kid. I was 16 years old once. 16-year-old boys are going to use this. Don't think for a moment that there's not going to be a 16-year-old boy that's going to go dress out for P.E. in the girls' locker room. Yes, it's going to happen. Should it? No. But it's going to. All in the interest of being politically correct. I don't have to be politically correct to be kind to someone. I don't want to fight with anyone. I don't want to insult anyone. But if you're transgender, the other person's comfort, that's part of being a kind human being, is you understand you're looking out for each other. If you're going through this change, you have to understand that you're in the minority and people don't see people like you every day. And there's going to be those with raised eyebrows. And yes, there are going to be mean people. But there are also going to be people that want to understand, unless, of course, you're going to force your way into the locker room. And when you force your way into the locker room, they're going to have something to say about it. This hour, let's talk about some of the policies that we ought to be discussing. The president goes to Cuba to normalize relations with that nation. The president goes to Argentina and says that there's not much difference between capitalism, socialism, and communism. And he says this to, to young students in Argentina, where we should be the defenders of capitalism and getting them to consider it. Instead, he says there's really not that big of a difference. You'll hear the audio of it. But the implications of where we are economically and what the government is confiscating from the taxpayers and still spending in a deficit and what it all means, all that's going to happen this hour of the program. You can find me on Twitter, at Broomhead Show, on Facebook, the Mike Broomhead Show fan page. And if you're an Instagram user, you know the, the, the photograph platform. You can find me on Instagram, all one word, Mike Broomhead. I'd love for you to follow me there. I'll follow you back. We'll be able to stay in touch. So we'll do all of this here in a moment. We'll lay out the case of why the president should not be normalizing relations with Cuba, why that shouldn't happen right now, but what we're going to do anyway. My name's Mike Broomhead. I'm in for Slater. I'll be back. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. All right, thanks for being here. So... Uh, by the way, Mike Broomhead, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, but I grew up in southwest Florida. I grew up on the Gulf of Mexico, a great town called Fort Myers, Florida. And I moved there in 1977, I believe. Um, so I've kind of bounced around. I was born in Ohio. I don't remember much about the Cleveland area. I was born in downtown Cleveland. At Netwood is, was the uh, St. Alexis Hospital. I think now it's called the Cleveland Clinic. I'll be going back there for the national convention. It'll be the first time I've been in Ohio since the late 70s. The last things I remember as a child about Ohio was Dennis Kucinich was the mayor and the river caught on fire. Uh, they've improved a lot since then, I've un- I understand. Um, so I'm going to be in Cleveland. But then I grew up in southwest Florida. So I grew up in southwest Florida at the time of the Mariel Boat Lifts. And I grew up among very good Cuban-Americans, and there's a big Cuban influence. So I know secondhand, not firsthand, never been to Cuba, but I know from Cuban people, I know a family in particular that was um, from Cuba. They came over on the boats. Parents, 
Three small children had their fourth child in America, became citizens at the very first opportunity. Um, now, the father, he was a teenager when Castro came into power. He served in the Cuban Navy under Castro. And the very first opportunity that Castro let him leave, he got his family out of there. Let me tell you a little bit about Cuba, and not much has changed since they told me these stories. Running water every other day, not every day, every other day, opposite sides of the street. No one uses their bathtub to bathe. You keep your bathtub very pristine so that on the day you have water, the last thing you do before you go to bed is fill it to the very top. You use it the next day for cleaning and for washing and for cooking. Um, So that's just one aspect. The power gets shut off at night because what do you need power at night for? And then if you use too much electricity, they'll shut your power off for a day or so to make up for the overusage that you've done. The Cuban people with a great culture of of, um, camaraderie and family and neighbors and neighborhoods, you see that a lot in Cuban neighborhoods still because that's what they do. They get together in the streets and they sing and dance and that camaraderie because – of what's taken from them, the oppression that they've been under. Castro was carried into the streets. Communism was going to save Cuba. Everybody was going to share in the wealth, and nobody does. All of the beautiful resorts on the beaches of the island of Cuba, where the Cuban people work every single day, they're not allowed to purchase those items. It's not just that they're too broke to have them. A lot of them have wealthy American family and friends. They're not allowed to have them. Raul Castro was the big changer in Cuba. Raul Castro gave the Cuban people the rights to such creature comforts as microwave ovens and hair dryers. I'm not making that up. You know why they weren't allowed to have them before? Because they use electricity. The state provides the electricity. Why would they waste the electricity on such novelty items like a microwave or a hair dryer? Well, the Cuban people have been oppressed, and here's an example of it. While the president was visiting... The Grand Theater in Havana, that's where the president spoke. Three blocks away, there were protests in the streets. Undercover police officers attacked the protesters, beat them down, threw them in police cars, swept them off the streets to the witnesses that were there. And our president wants to normalize relations with the government of Cuba in an effort to say to them, if we normalize the relations with the government and there's more of an American influence on the island of Cuba, the Cuban people will more naturally want to Americanize. Well, let me tell you how dumb that is. Do you know what kind of an American influence there is in Cuba now? How do you think the Cuban people get here? They're sponsored by their family members. We still have the wet foot, dry foot rule. Cuban citizens still making their way through South America and Mexico across the border. But unlike anybody else, once they cross the border, they go to the border patrol or someone else and say, I am a Cuban citizen. I'm here for political asylum. You see them on the boat still, trying to hit the shores of Miami or or anywhere up the Gulf Coast, you know, on Florida. And our president wants to normalize relations. He sits there with the Castros while the Castros in that that um, that summit of the Americas months ago, where Raul Castro just completely eviscerated America and our way of life and said to him, we like you, Mr. Obama, but your, your country, well it, well, it sucks. The American people suck, and you, you're okay. We like you. And the president sat there nicely and smiled and nodded his head, and he goes to Cuba to normalize relations. And I'm very disappointed. There is a Republican senator here in Arizona named Jeff Flake, and Jeff Flake supports the president fully. He's made multiple trips, including this last one, with the president. And I like Senator Flake, by the way, very much. Jeff Flake is a very good man. 
100% wrong about Cuba. Cuba is going to be wealthy. There are going to be a lot of American businesses that now will go to Cuba and enrich themselves. And there's nothing wrong with profit, nothing wrong with enriching yourselves. But if anybody thinks that that enrichment is going to benefit anybody but the Castros and their regime in Cuba, you are 100 percent wrong. In the days that have followed the president's visit to Cuba, nothing has changed. They don't even acknowledge the existence of dissidents that they put in prison. Talk about the brown shirts. You know, I was I was told it was so scary what happened during the Obamacare fight when Obamacare was not yet a law. The president put out a statement to to his supporters and said, listen, if your friends and neighbors are telling you stories about how bad Obamacare is, it's because they don't know the facts. Send us their information. Tell us who they are and we'll make sure that they have the facts. You know who rose up in fear? Cuban-Americans. You know why? Because of the brown shirts in Cuba. You don't speak against the government in Cuba because you don't know if it's going to be your family or your next-door neighbor or someone else. But when you speak against the government in Cuba, they show up at your house. Why? Not to imprison you, to re-educate you, to educate you with the true facts of how great the Cuban government and communism really is. Sound familiar? It may sound like a big leap. Nobody here was imprisoning anyone. I mean, unless you were a nonprofit group of the Tea Party trying to get a nonprofit status, well, then they held you up. But the government of Cuba doesn't allow dissension, doesn't allow protest, doesn't allow debate. The Cuban people aren't allowed to own things, even if they had the money. They buy meat on the black market. When it's time to shop for school clothes, they're given an allotment and parents literally go to the stores and are told you can either buy underwear or shoes for your children. Even if you have the money for both, you cannot buy both. You get one or the other. And instead of us fighting to end that kind of oppression on a beautiful island that's just 90 miles south of Key West in Florida and saying that those people should be able to elect a government there and they should be able to share in the wealth of their island, we are going to normalize relations with a government that will enrich some American businesses and what's going to very make the Castro's even more wealthy, it's going to do nothing or very little for the Cuban people. I say that because it goes further into what the president's real economic or financial or lifestyle principles are. He went to Argentina. He spoke with students in Argentina. And instead of being the beacon of capitalism, wait until you hear the audio of what he told Argentinian students about capitalism, socialism, and communism. The audio, you're going to hear the audio next. And it is staggering to hear it from an American president. So that coming up in just a few moments. We'll talk about the American way of life. Stick around. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. All right, it is the Slater Show. My name is Mike Broomhead in Phoenix, Arizona. A few minutes left. I want to talk about why this is important. First of all, it's not just, I'm not just bashing the Cuban government. It's, it's not the purpose. It's not even the purpose, really, to bash President Obama. It's to talk about the ideology that's at war right now. We, are, we have a presidential election 
And the best we've got right now is a socialist and a criminal on the left. And then fighting on the right-hand side of the aisle seems to be whose, whose wife is hotter. We have to do better. We have to do better. I want you to hear our president. Now, I want you to think, in our lifetimes, if we ever imagined an American president would go to Cuba or Argentina or anywhere else in the world, have the attention of young people, and not talk about American exceptionalism, our way of life, freedom, which capitalism is freedom, whether you like the, the outcome of failure when people fail or not, instead of talking about the attributes and the positive side of capitalism, President Obama is speaking to this the Argentinian students, and, and the full clip, I think, is over an hour long. You're about to hear one minute of him talking about capitalism, socialism, and communism, and what he recommends the people from Argentina, the next generation of leadership does when it comes to choosing which you're going to do. And then after you hear it, we'll discuss the implications of it. So if you're ready with that audio, go ahead and play it. To make a broader point, you know, so often in the past, there's been a sharp division between left and right, between capitalist and communist or socialist. And especially in the Americas, that's been a big debate, right? Ah, you know, you're, you're a capitalist Yankee dog, and oh, you know, you're some you know, crazy communist you know, that's going to take away everybody's property. And, I mean, those are in, in, interesting intellectual arguments, but I think for your generation, you should be practical and just choose from what works. You don't have to worry about whether it neatly fits into socialist theory or capitalist theory. You should just decide what works. Let that sink in for a moment. Those are interesting intellectual debates. No, no, they're not. Look at communism in practice in Cuba. Is there anybody in America fleeing to be Cuban? No. The Cuban people flee to America. Do you want to know who the people are that fight for the freedoms we have and for the lack of government power that we have? Cuban Americans and, and, and Americans that come from socialist and communist countries all over the world. They know that governments don't just one day stand up and say, we are taking everything. It's incrementally taken all for the common good. The president calls this an intellectual debate. It is not an intellectual debate, number one. Number two, he says, do what works. Well, then you have to define what he means. What does he mean, what works? What makes a prosperous society as a whole? What is fair in a level playing field? What does he mean by what works? Because nothing he has done has worked. The goals the president set forth in his first days in office, economic only, he was, he said, if you make more, if you make less than $250,000 a year, you will not see a tax increase. That was a lie because we have. Everyone has. He said that Obamacare, if you want to keep your doctor, you can keep your doctor. 
That's a lie. That's not true. Health care costs are growing faster than wages. The GDP in this country, we have not had growth in this country at 3%. We haven't even hit 3% growth for nine straight years. Now, that goes back to the Bush administration, to be fair. It's never happened before. And you look at the jobless rate. Get it straight. You look at the jobless rate among black Americans, young black Americans, disproportionate. It is an alarming unemployment rate. Young people entering the job market are not making a living and they're saddled with debt, which is why the Bernie Sanders message of free college and paying off your college debt sounds good. In the long run, it's going to cost you a lot more money than the debt, but no one's seeing that. No one's even explaining the difference. Never in a million years did I think you'd hear an American president go to Argentina or Cuba or anywhere else and say, ah, communism, socialism, capitalism, do whatever works. I've got some numbers for you. Um, $1.248 trillion is the number. You know, the fiscal year does not begin in January. Begins October 1st. And in the first five months of the fiscal year, the Treasury has taken in a record through February. Through the end of February, they have taken in a record $1.248 trillion, even adjusted for inflation. The United States Treasury is taking more money out of the American economy than they ever have before. That's $8,263 per worker in America, part-time or full-time. They count every worker, even a kid in high school that works 15 or 20 hours a week. If you have a job, you account for $8,263 already in the first five months of the year. Now, I don't know about you, but I imagine I'm paying a much bigger piece of that $8,263 than a part-time worker that's working in retail or is handing me a burger at lunchtime. So as if that wasn't bad enough that the average worker will pay somewhere north of $20,000 a year average, $20,000 a year in taxes, um, the federal government in those first five months still running at a $353 billion, billion with a B, deficit. So we're going to be just under a trillion dollars in deficits again with a record amount of money in the Treasury. Anybody think we have a spending problem or an income problem in this country? Which is it? Doesn't seem to me like we have an income problem. I've used the analogy before on this network, and I hate singling out people, but they've been pretty vocal about their finances. Elton John, Michael Jackson before he died. Anybody think Elton John has an income problem? Elton John still makes millions of dollars with the music that he recorded in the 70s. He still fills arenas when he sings there. Wasn't it Elton John that was paid a million dollars by Rush Limbaugh to play at his wedding? A million bucks for one concert? And yet, he was bankrupt. Why? He admitted it. He spent more than he made. As, and he said, unimaginable, I'm paraphrasing, 
hard to imagine that you could ever spend more than I was making. But he did it, and he was bankrupt. Now, he's recovered. You know why? Because he still makes a lot of money. The American economy is still the strongest in the world, and we can recover. But we're $17 trillion in debt, and they want more, because here's more numbers. The Congressional Budget Office, an economist with the CBO, which is a nonpartisan organization, Chad Shirley, the Deputy Assistant Director for Microeconomic Studies, gave a presentation and said that the federal gas tax revenues are falling short of federal spending on highway programs. Let's stop there for just a minute. Didn't we spend a trillion dollars in TARP when President Obama took office to fix the roads and the highways? Remember all the signs that were on the freeways across this country? The bridges that needed to be fixed and the highways that needed to be repaired and expanded. And these were the jobs he was creating, real jobs for Americans. Remember all of that? We spent a trillion dollars. Well, according to this report, the federal government is not getting enough money in tax revenue from gas taxes to pay for the roads anymore. Now, record number, record amount of money into the Treasury. One of the primary jobs of the federal government is the roads, correct? I mean, most people would agree. The highway system is one of the federal one of their basic responsibilities. Well, we have more fuel-efficient cars. The fuel efficiency standards continue to go up. People are using less gasoline and everything else. So they're falling short with the gas tax. So the CBO is recommending the VMT, the Vehicle Miles Traveled Tax. They want to start taxing you by the mile you drive. This story is less than two weeks old, by the way. They are recommending software being put into your vehicle. If you've got a new vehicle, they're going to put this in new vehicles. They want it in new vehicles. But you will now be taxed by the mile you travel. Now comes the $100,000 question. You think they'll repeal the federal gasoline tax to replace it with this? Or do you think this is going to be in addition to the tax that's already there? What does this do to the everyday consumer? You want to know what saved our economy so far in the last 12 months? Gas prices being as low as they are. Now, it's damaged. It's hammered the oil industry. But to the average American, it was a tax cut. You have an extra 20 or $30 a week because you're not putting it in your gas tank. You spend it somewhere else. What happens when they take that from you? But what does it do to the small business owner that has 8, 10, 12 trucks or cars in their fleet? What about the -the over-the-road truck drivers? What about FedEx and UPS? What about those companies that rely on transportation, taxi cab companies, Uber drivers? What does it do to them? So when you think about the United States Treasury having more money than it's ever had before... And it's still spending more than it's getting and trying to find new avenues of revenue. And then you listen to our president go somewhere else and say, ah, whatever works. Bernie Sanders says free college. Get rid of those student loans and young people by the millions are filling stadiums because they hear free. We're going to be we're going to be out from under the burden. 
Go watch Fidel Castro be carried on the shoulders of the Cuban people as the savior of the island of Cuba. And then look where they are now. I'm just saying we we aren't watching. I, I hate to be the guy, the doom and gloom guy about everything. But look where we're going. Already the average worker, it's over $8,200 in the first five months of the year, even for a part-time worker. And most of those didn't even make $8,200 in the first five months if they have a part-time job. And they're still spending more than they make. All right, so that's it. That's the civics lesson. That's the economics lesson. And you heard your president say, just do whatever works. Doesn't matter. Socialism, communism, capitalism, whatever. If it works, you know, just do that, whatever your goals are. All right, we have a few minutes left in the show before I close it out. My name is Mike Broomhead. This is the Slater Show. I'll be back. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Mike Slater. All right, thanks for being here. And um, Christmas or uh, Easter weekend upon us. And uh, whether you look at the Bible as the inerrant word of God or you look at it as just a historic book, it is an amazing book. And this weekend we celebrate the the resurrection of the Savior. And um, for those of you that are Christians, like I am, it is uh, the most important weekend of our faith. It is the culmination of the life of Christ. It is the purpose for which he lived. And um, I don't want to preach a sermon in the last couple of minutes of the show, but I'll say this. Just remember that even those men that were with him for all of that time of his ministry, after his death, spent days locked in a room wondering what just happened. They had been with the living God, if you're a Christian, you believe that, and watched him crucified and thought, that's not the king we thought we were getting. We thought we were getting a king, and they killed him. Now what? And they were locked away, terrified, until he revealed himself and what his real purpose was. It's encouraging to me when I seem to wonder what's going on and not believing that God would allow this to happen. So this weekend, take some time, celebrate Easter with your family, and be mindful Because around the world, there are men and women whose job it is to protect you. This weekend, those that hate us especially hate us for this weekend. They hate us for the God we serve. They hate us for what we stand for. And this weekend is the representation of that. Don't think for a moment that those that hate us would do us harm at a moment's notice. And there are men and women across this country and across the world that are going to work diligently to keep us as safe as possible. Be diligent yourself, but never forget... The sacrifice of those men and women that are serving, not just wearing a military uniform, those in the intelligence world, and those that are also wearing the uniform of police officers in communities across the country. I don't ever want to lose sight of the sacrifice they make for us. I hope you're going to have a good Easter. I know for us, it is such an encouraging story, and for the people that I love, I'm going to spend it with my grandkids and my kids, I believe, and uh, I can't think of a thing I'd rather do. It's been a pleasure. It always is a pleasure to be here on the Blaze Radio Network. I will be back next Saturday afternoon for Mike Slater as well. At Broomhead Show on Twitter, Mike Broomhead on Instagram, the Mike Broomhead Show on Facebook. Please stay in touch. Have a great Easter weekend, everyone. I'll be back next Saturday. God bless. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.